Hello, and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield. I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. And if you're not aware, I also have an online continuing education platform, and you can find that at the same website address. Today, I want to talk to you about what veterinary employees want. And I know that sounds like, whoa, this is going to be a huge five-hour discussion. Nope, I'm going to dial it down to just the highlights of what every single veterinary professional wants so that you're able to retain them. Because I know that, yes, I definitely wear the hat of a veterinary technician. I'm a VTS, a veterinary technician specialist in emergency critical care. I'm going on my 26th year this year. Woohoo! I've survived. But the reality is, is I find that a lot of employers are still completely clueless about what veterinary professionals want in a workplace environment. And it's not rocket science. I think when employees become unhappy, we hear a lot of, well, they want to be paid more or they want better, bigger benefits. What, what does that mean? So when we get into the money talk, money is important. I'm going to dive into that just very briefly. But what other things are employees looking for so that we're able to retain them? Because the reality is, and I've said this numerous times, The reason why veterinary professionals enter in this workforce, whether or not it be your client service representative, AKA the front desk, a vet assistant, a vet tech, also known as vet nurse, if you're not part of this country, or even if you are part of this country, um, or a veterinarian, or a practice manager, no matter who you are working in a vet hospital, you entered in probably because you really love animals. You really love them. And hopefully the second part of that is that you really love the medicine. Because there's plenty of other jobs that if you're a practice manager, you can go manage a department store. You can go manage Starbucks. You can go manage something else that doesn't have the animals and medicine. But what probably drove you to this job was the animal side of things and then helping to make sure that those animals receive amazing care so that that pet owner bond stays strong for as long as possible. So the reasons why we entered this workforce are always there. They never leave. And you know, in 15, 20, 100 years from now, they're not gonna, we're not gonna be replaced by robots. So those two things are always gonna be there. 500 million years from now, people are gonna say, why did you decide to become a vet tech? Why did you decide to become a veterinarian? And the reason is, I really love animals and I really love medicine. And that's why I'm here in this hospital. It's that simple. So what makes people unhappy? Because the reality is, is the reasons why we went into this profession, they don't, it's not like they go away. Um, maybe some of us lose our passions. So I've got to tell you, nobody really loses their passion for their love of the animal, right? Maybe you lose your passion for medicine, but it's pretty freaking cool. It's always evolving. It's always changing. So why do people become unhappy and why did they leave your hospital? And the reality is, is that our retention rates in veterinary medicine suck. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's flat out really terrible. They're just shitty, actually. I mean, we have statistics of 30 to 40% turnover rate of veterinary technicians. We have high turnover rate. Excuse me. Let me pause there. Let me correct that. Turn out rate. It's not even turn over out of hospitals. People are just leaving the profession. They're exiting in mass exodus, especially in the last couple of years. We see veterinarians with a quarter million dollar of debt or more who decide to give up their veterinarian license because something has driven them out of the profession. What a tragedy. So I really want to talk to you and dial this down as to what do veterinary professionals really want to stay in this profession? Because again, It's not rocket science. And maybe I'm going to miss a couple things here or there, but hopefully at the end of this podcast, what my challenge to you is, if you are in a leadership role, 
take one or two of these things and help make it better in your hospital so that you're able to retain these employees. Nothing is more tragic than somebody who loves medicine, loves animals, and leaves the profession. What have we done wrong? Because we clearly did something wrong to drive them out. So let's go ahead and start with what do veterinary professionals really want? So let's start off with money. Money is a big driver. That is actually why we all work. And to say that, you know, you went into this industry and you're not going to make a lot of money, but hey, you get to hang out with dogs and cats and, you know, maybe some lizards and snakes, whatever it is, large animal, whatever it is that you're hanging out with, that is a little bit of a benefit, but we need to be able to afford to live. And the reality is, is unfortunately, a lot of us are struggling living paycheck to paycheck. And veterinary professionals wanting money shouldn't come as a surprise. In fact, AVMA News just recently sent out an article on November 8th, 2023, and the title was Increasing Efficacy Salaries Can Help Practices Retain Employees. Granted, it was focused on veterinarians, but it's interesting. They had 760 practice owners that responded to survey, and basically what they found is that 86% did give some sort of increase in salary. And of that, they raised the wages about four to 6%. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not a mathematician, but in 2022, we had a record-setting 8% inflation. And so here's the math on that. And again, I'm not a mathematician, but if you only get a 4% increase in your salary, but everything goes up 8%, you're actually losing money, unfortunately. The current salary that you had actually is worth less. And so I think a lot of practice owners do not realize that you not only have to increase wages every single year, but you have to keep up with minimally, minimally, the actual rate of inflation. So I know, for example, veterinary technicians and client service representatives, they on average only get a one to 2% increase in their salary. That means every year from the time they were hired, their salary is worth less every single year that they're employed at their hospital. In fact, there's been some studies showing just universally, not necessarily veterinary related studies, but universally that if you quit and go take another job, you will get a bigger raise simply because you're a new employee. But the raise that you start at, you definitely want to advocate for because it doesn't budge much from the time that you are actually, you know, start your employment through years later. So, hey, if you happen to be in a position that you can do something about wages, I want you to have that food for thought, to recognize that we have to buck the norm and that stupid profit and loss statement that everybody is hell bent on the numbers. And what bothers me in this profession is when there's actual bragging rights to how small your non-doctor payroll percentage is on your actual p and Why is that bragging rights? To say like, we're barely paying our people? No. I know profitable hospitals with P&Ls where their non-doctor payroll is 21, 20%, 22%. But there are people on forums who like to brag that their non-doctor payroll is at 9% or 10%. How are employees even expected to be able to afford to live? And that's why the majority of people, aside from veterinarians, and I would say even practice managers, the majority of veterinary technicians, assistants, veterinary nurses, and client service reps 
have second, third, fourth, fifth jobs because they cannot afford to live. So we've got to get away from P&Ls where we actually, you know, glorify small non-doctor payrolls to say, look how little I'm paying my people because it is offensive. So again, I'm gonna buck the norm there and I wanna challenge all of you because I've seen P&Ls with really tiny percentages and P&Ls with really big percentages. There's a lot that goes into a P&L. We don't have time to, to deal with that today. But on the very first topic of what retains employees, yeah, money's absolutely a retainer. So I want you to think about what can I do differently? Um, I just actually had somebody reach out to me and they said, hey, we're really struggling because our practice manager refuses to put in any technician managers or any other layer of supervisor or manager to help her. She is directly, she has all 60 employees report directly to her. And she says she has no room in the budget. There's absolutely no way that they can afford to actually promote anyone into a supervisor or manager position. So here's where I struggle with that. Let's just say you take your greatest service, you know, the service that you do the most of. Let's just say you only do that service 20 times in an entire week, okay? And you're only open for five days. Okay, so if you decide to raise that service price by a whole $5 and you do it 20 times a week, you get another $100 in a week. Doesn't sound like much, right? So your hospital, however, is open 50 weeks a year. That's an extra $5,000 just by simply taking one service. Let's just say your exam fee is $100. Bump it up to 105. You've just recovered $5,000. That's the additional money that someone is looking to actually be promoted into a supervisor or manager role. So when hospitals say they don't have the budget, I really struggle with that because that on a surface level right there, we probably can actually even increase that more, maybe $10 more or whatever it is. But yeah, we need to start thinking outside the box. How can we do right by our employees for the salaries that they should be able to make so that they can afford to live and ideally just have one job? Okay. All right. So let's move away from pay. Um, I would say the next biggest thing is obviously benefits having great health insurance, having, making sure that we're able to support mothers. <gasps> yes, I know. If we could have better maternity health benefits in this, uh, in this country, in the United States, that would be great. I want our moms to be able to come back and be able to work in a veterinary hospital. And for most veterinary technicians and assistants and even front desk, when they have babies, it's cheaper to stay home. That should tell you that the system alone is broken. So as far as retaining employees, we don't get to retain employees when they can't afford to come into work because daycare is more expensive than what they're getting paid, right? We should be able to pay them more than what daycare charges. That says something right there. So benefits is the second thing. But what else are employees really looking for? Well, they wanna feel needed. We came into this industry because we want to help animals. And the reality is, is there's plenty of hospitals that do not utilize their staff fully to make them feel needed. There's no worse feeling than someone, you know, pushing me to the side and doing all the things and I'm just standing there and I'm not helping that animal. I wanna have a connection with the animal. I wanna be able to feel like I've made a difference. I want clients to say, thank you so much for helping me. All of those things feel very good. And when we don't utilize our front desk, when we don't utilize our vet techs and assistants, arguably maybe sometimes vet veterinarians don't get utilized to the degree, but 
that tends not to be as big of an issue. But especially for veterinary technicians, especially for credentialed veterinary technicians, they came out of school, they have a college education, either associates of science or bachelors of science. Some of them are coming out with masters of science. They come into hospitals and they're told they have to prove themselves. I'm sorry, wasn't that what school was? School was I, I proved myself. I obtained a set number of grades and, and requirements in order to graduate with an actual degree. Now, if we wanna play by the same rules, that means when veterinarians come into our hospitals, well, then they need to prove themselves. So they should also be subjected to having someone micromanage every spay and neuter, watching them you know, over them like a hawk, making sure someone double checks their diagnosis and how they're prescribing stuff because they're a brand new doctor and they might not have a clue what they're doing. That type of behavior doesn't feel good to employees. In fact, obviously it's not gonna improve retention rates. Employees are gonna leave. And here's what's so sad, when we're dealing with someone, especially client service reps or brand new vet techs or vet assistants who have come into our hospitals, and they don't know that other hospitals might utilize them more, they assume that this is how it is after they've graduated, or they assume this is how they're gonna get treated at every hospital. So they leave the profession entirely because they were never allowed to be able to do the skills or practice the knowledge that they have. And that's really sad. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, people are different skilled, you know, we're not sure. Yeah, so are doctors, I <laughs> trust me. 26 years in veterinary medicine, you have doctors that graduate from school and I would trust them with my own pet's life and others, five years later, I'm like, no, you can't touch my animal. You, I know you've been out of school for five years, but no, you cannot touch my animal, you terrify me. So it's true in both human and veterinary medicine. The reality is, is we have to allow our teams to be fully utilized. And let's just think about it from a front desk level. Front desk barely gets utilized to the degree that we could utilize them. We could be utilizing them so much more in our practice so that we can get a better client experience. Unfortunately, we put them in a little box, they answer phones, they check people out, and we say, good job. How many years do you think that person is going to go ahead and tolerate that for until they leave your hospital? So when you're wondering why your, I don't know, your front desk has the highest turnover rate, it's because they get bored. When utilization doesn't happen, when you don't make that person feel like they are needed, they're gonna walk. So we need to have systems in place where people are utilized. And if training is an issue, guess what? Hospitals need to take the responsibility to train these individuals. So that kind of leads me right into the next point that, of things that people really want in a veterinary hospital. They want to be educated. They want to be trained. They always want to grow in their knowledge. Education is the spark that keeps you engaged in a hospital. I know this because anytime I've ever gone to a conference or I've listened to another speaker, my brain lights up, endorphins start going crazy, and I start thinking to myself, this is amazing, I feel completely rejuvenated, I love my job again, and I'm here for the long haul. When you just do the same thing over and over and no one actually challenges your brain, teaches you anything new, and you just go through the routines, you start becoming stagnant. It doesn't feel good. I definitely, I've left two jobs out of boredom. Yeah, I quit. I left on good terms, 
but I wanted a different challenge. And now my most recent challenge, oh, that is owning your own business is definitely a, a challenge. I'm not bored. I am still figuring it out. I can't say I'm doing it completely right. Um, but yeah, my brain is challenged every single day. Every single day I'm starting to figure out how to continue to hustle, how to make things different, where are the gaps in the industry, you know, all of those things. So I'm still challenged in my brain. And then when I get to pull floor shifts at an emergency hospital, my brain is so challenged because there are so many cool new toys and things like that. And I get to just tap into that side of my brain. People love to learn. They love to be educated. And too many employers do not care about education. They lump veterinary assistants and veterinary technicians all into one big category. They fail to train either one. And where do we begin with the tragedy known as the front desk? Talk about their brains just going to mush. A lot of them are not sure of the career path that they want to go. Some of them may have had another job. But again, they went into veterinary medicine because there was an opening. They were like, I can learn on the job. Great. So here they are, excited about animals, and they barely have any interaction. Why are we not educating our front desk on medical terms? Why are we not educating the front desk on anatomy and physiology or basic diseases? Are we really that afraid that they're going to overstep and suddenly start diagnosing things? That's like saying a vet assistant or a veterinary technician starts diagnosing and prescribing drugs. It doesn't happen. Or I mean, maybe it does, but hey, there's no difference than the veterinarian who suddenly decides to start spaying and neutering in their own house. Not appropriate, but people are crazy. And so there's always going to be those weird one-offs. The majority of people are not going to overstep. And when we go ahead and educate our front desk on those types of things, their brain lights up. They go, this is amazing. They want to stay at your hospital for longer. But here's the biggest thing. They want to stay in the profession for longer. I have seen statistics in big companies and just some data out online where it is suggested anywhere from 40 to 60% turnover, usually within the first year or two of employment for the individuals working in our front desk. And yet, it is one of the most important positions in the hospital. Who is going to be the face of the hospital? That person at the desk to greet those clients to say hello. And we know that if they're not happy, it comes across and clients aren't happy because the person on the telephone or greeting them at the desk is miserable. So how do we engage them? We educate them. But again, most of the time, day one, hey, just answer this phone, happy pause veterinary hospital, and then check somebody out. And that's where we leave their knowledge. Super uncool. Most of the time, the emphasis on continuing education is actually focused on veterinarians. They get to go to all the fancy conferences. They get to go to all the CE. In fact, most of them don't even have budgets. You know, they're just like, well, tell us what you want to go to. And, and it's probably fine. Meanwhile, your veterinary assistants, veterinary technicians, and front desk that have the highest turnover rates, we give them $200 a year, $250 a year. It's simply not okay if we want to retain employees. So while we are on the topic of education, one of the things that we fail at in veterinary medicine is new hires. Dun, dun, dun. I think I did an entire podcast about this. Oh, and in the very least, in one of my books, Oops, I Became a Manager, I actually dive into how to create a new hire program. 
The grim reality is that one of the big reasons why people don't stay in this profession or even stay in a particular hospital is because we don't treat them very nicely when they enter our hospitals. We throw them onto the floor and it doesn't matter if they're a veterinarian, veterinary technician, veterinary assistant, or front desk. It's simply, and a practice manager, I've seen that. Poor practice manager shows up on day one, other practice manager left, and practice manager on day one is expected to manage the practice. Not just manage the practice, but manage the practice to perfection. They didn't even get an opportunity to say hello. They barely got an introduction. Obviously, a lot of times when other practice managers leave, there's been some sort of, you know, rift and in, in insanity that's happened. So we hire on this brand new practice manager and we expect them to take on too much. We really need new hire programs for all roles in our hospitals. And unfortunately, we don't set them up for success. We sit down the new client service representative and we say, oh, you just answer the phone. This is what we say. We say, happy pause veterinary hospital. You can say your name or you don't have to say your name. And then you ask them what they're, what they're interested in. And then, you know, when they need something, just ask me and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. What? It's just really terrible training, but it's also a terrible way to want to stay at that hospital. I want you to envision on your first day, you don't show up in scrubs or a uniform and you're actually paired with someone. You learn where things are in the hospital. You have the hospital pay for your lunch. People just say hello to you and get to know who you are. And that goes on for like the first week where you just observe. You just observe. You don't have to go ahead and throw everybody on the floor. And I hear this from a lot of veterinary um, managers, which is, well, we're short staffed, so we need them to work now. Nope, you don't. You've been short-staffed. You're going to be short-staffed. You're going to continue to be short-staffed if you fail to treat this person with respect and kindness. And unfortunately, just throwing them on the floor is going to set them up for failure. Again, 26 years in veterinary medicine. And if I decided to work in a brand new hospital, I'd want a training period. I want to know where the supplies are. I want to know how I can help. I want to know the systems and processes so that I can help the animals to the best of my ability. But when I don't even know where a leash is and I've got a dog that needs a leash, I first of all feel like an idiot. Second of all, I feel like a burden. So now I'm interrupting the rest of the staff. Can someone tell me where a leash is? Yeah. So um, this owner didn't bring in a leash. Can anyone show where a leash is? And usually the response to that new hire asking a question is, they're over there. They're in the drawer. Well, wouldn't it have been nice that we didn't stress out the current team by simply having a good training period? So we need good training periods, but here's the other flip side of that. We have to make sure we don't haze our new team members. Too often, new employees get hazed and bullied by the current employees of that hospital. Things have always been done this way. We don't need you. You know, when I was hired, they didn't train me, so I don't understand why we have to train you. You know, kids these days, that sort of thing. That all needs to change. And part of that is obviously we can't change everybody's personality or behavior towards other individuals. But leaders really do need to promote a, a different culture and a different way of viewing new hires. Too often leaders go out on the floor and they say things like, hey, great news. We have a new veterinary technician or new vet assistant that we just hired. They're gonna start in three weeks. And listen, they're coming in with like only a couple years experience. And, and obviously it's gonna take a little bit for them to get trained. And, and I know that's gonna be a lot of work for you. And so I really do appreciate all everyone's time. Um, and I don't know how much skill or knowledge they have, but obviously we need them. 
if I was a current employee, I would be miserable over this new hire. We really do need to reshape and, and kind of reframe how we talk to our current employees about new hires. Hey everyone, this is so great. They're coming on. I bet you they have a lot of really great skill and knowledge to share with us. If not, I know you're all gonna go ahead and help pitch in. As you know, we have training checklists. As you know, we're gonna go ahead and pair them up with someone. Thank you so much. As you know, they're not gonna have a full schedule for a month. All of those great things are gonna welcome that person in, but it's also gonna help put the, the a less burden on the current team, which is really important. So again, going back to the educational piece, people wanna feel educated, and that includes when they're first hired into a new role. So I mentioned it briefly. I said kids these days. Let's go there. All right, you wanna know what kids these days really want or even mean. We're talking about generational differences. And right now, one of the biggest things I do when I have consulting or coaching conversations is simply talk about the differences in generations. Because older generation individuals, I'm a Gen X, I'm gonna put myself as an older generation. It hurts me, I remember when we were the younger generation. Um, but baby boomers and Gen X, yes, we are in the older generation. Millennials, Gen Z, you are in a younger generation. The older generation blames the younger generation for absolutely everything that's going wrong in the hospital right now. And unfortunately, that type of conversation just leads to people leaving your hospital, but also leaving the profession. So let me be very clear. Every single generation, with the exception of baby boomers, though it's interesting because the data in the last five years has really pointed, maybe arguably 10 years, has really pointed to baby boomers reshaping their mentality. Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, we are very closely aligned with things that drive us. It's all to the degree, though, that drives us. And so baby boomers are very unique because baby boomers, you were actually managed by a very unique, fantastic generation, the traditionalists, a.k.a. the greatest generation. They saw World War II, they saw Korea, and they managed you. And listen, you didn't screw around with that generation. They actually served in world wars. You did what they said you needed to do. You said, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. And you went along your work day. You treated them with respect. You didn't expect them to you know, talk to you about feelings. They actually were some of the greatest generation. So baby boomers were managed by these individuals. Now, baby boomers, you got to manage Gen X. And why is Gen X called what Gen X? Because we were going to be losers and amount to anything. They didn't know what to call us. And so we were just termed X, meaning you're not going to be anything. Well, it turns out we're doing just fine. But baby boomers definitely saw a lot of struggles because our generation, a little bit more free spirited. We were latchkey kids, very independent. What's a latchkey kid? Some, some of you may have no idea. But in our generation, because Baby Boomer actually, interesting fun fact as well, and if you can't tell, I have a huge passion for generational differences. Again, wrote a chapter in it in my book, Oops, My Team is Toxic. Definitely go check it out if you want a more in-depth look at to how the generations are working in our hospitals. So anyway, I love generational differences. So the fun fact about Baby Boomers is it's the generation where most 
women entered the workforce at one time. Prior to that, the, again, traditionalist, greatest generation, women didn't really work that much. We started seeing women really enter the workforce around the 1950s and 1960s. And so, for example, most of my family and friends, both parents worked. And my friends' parents, both of them worked. And this was unique. Well, now moms are entered the workforce and in large numbers, you know, And so what did kids do? We became latchkey kids. We had to let ourselves in. But as such, we're fiercely independent, right? We did not want to be told by our bosses. Yeah, that's right, baby boomers. That would be you. We didn't want to be told what to do. We worked independently and we got to manage ourselves. Sound familiar in a workplace? So when Gen X entered the workplace, a lot of the baby boomers like, these people have an attitude. They, when I tell them to do something, they say no, and then they question me and they want to, you know, do things on their own. And that's not how we work here. Yeah. So, hey, you can all thank Gen X for being the original work-life balance people. And that's actually true. So Gen X and Gen Z and millennials, we are all very closely aligned. Gen X started thinking, you know what? I want to question my boss. I want to ask them questions. I want them to care about me. I want them to care about my career. Millennials, you ramped it up a little bit, okay? So you took it and you're like, listen, I really want them to care about my career. I want to have a conversation. When new policies and procedures get rolled out, I'd like to be part of the conversation. Even if the decision is, no, we can't do that. I'd like someone to care about my opinion. And Gen Z, woo, you've really ramped it up, okay? By the way, fun also fact, Gen Z has the most number of young entrepreneurs than any other generation. Kudos to you guys. You do not mind taking risks. You enjoy taking risks. And as such, you go in and out of hospitals very quickly. If you're unhappy with a veterinary hospital, you will just leave on the same day that you started and you're going to find your happiness at another hospital. And so it is harder for older generations to understand how these younger generations work. But here's the thing. The last three generations, Gen X, Gen Z, millennials, we are all very similarly aligned. So Gen Xers, lay off the Gen Zers. They're actually pretty close to you in terms of values and what they want and what makes them tick. So why did I go on this weird diatribe about generational differences? It's simple because when we're talking about how to retain employees, how to keep people in this profession, one of the things that is so important right now more than ever is to make sure that all employees feel like They are of an equal value in the hospital. That's right. As far as the top-down leadership structure, it's dead in all the generations. And it started being dead with Gen X. We had baby boomers saying to us, well, we need you to do this. And us saying, no, I'm going to question you as a boss. Instead of you being my boss, I want to think of you as a colleague. And I know you're my boss. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I know that you're my boss in the end. Like, I definitely understand that, but I want to have a conversation with you. And Gen Zers, more so. They really do want to make sure that they feel like they are part of the team. And so when we have, unfortunately, top-down authority, or we put an emphasis on veterinarians over veterinary technicians, or veterinary technicians over front desk, or operations, aka practice managers, hospital administrators, or owners of companies over everybody else, it doesn't feel good to employees. And employees start to walk away. They start to question whether or not they even want to be part of this profession. 
Everybody in that hospital needs to feel like they are of equal importance because they are. The reality is, is that our front desk doesn't work very well if we don't have good qualified employees. And so when our front desk fails, that means part of our operational bucket fails. When we have veterinarians who can't prescribe or miss a diagnosis, then our medicine bucket fails. And when our veterinary technicians and assistants fail at actually monitoring anesthesia or taking care of that animal from a nursing care standpoint, then the nursing bucket fails. The reality is, is everyone in the hospital is on an equal playing field, but it doesn't feel like that in every hospital. I actually just kind of went off on a venting session because about a month ago, the AVMA actually published a survey. They surveyed pet owners. And one of the questions they had the audacity to actually write was, would you rather a veterinarian in charge of your pet's care or would you rather a veterinary technician in charge of the pet's care? Now, there's a lot of other information that goes into that question because I understand why the AVMA published it, but it's offensive in and of itself. Now, of course, 70% of pet owners or something like 65, 70% of pet owners were like, I'd rather a veterinarian in charge of my pet's care. And I posted a vlog that said, hey, I'm a veterinary technician. I'm in charge of your pet's care too. You know who else is? The front desk. You know who else is? The practice manager. You know who else is? The owner or hospital administrator or the corporation. All those people are in charge of a pet's care. And to think that only a veterinarian is in charge of a pet's care, unfortunately, this is where we fall flat as a profession. And as such, it doesn't feel good. And when we're talking about generational differences, that is some of the biggest differences. To baby boomers, you do a job, you get paid, you go home. It doesn't need to feel good. To Gen X, to millennials, to Gen Z, my job has to feel good. I have to have buy-in on the values and the mission that I'm working for this particular hospital. If I don't think that I'm an equal participant on the field that I'm playing, I'm going to go find a job that makes me feel more valued. And that is the reality. If your job doesn't value you, you are going to walk. And I think we don't place enough emphasis on this because again, we place so much emphasis on how are our doctors doing? How are they grossing? How's every, how, how many surgeries are we getting in? And we don't care about the rest of the two buckets, operations and nursing in the hospital. And when we overemphasize one, the hospital fails. So when we're talking about retaining employees or keeping them within this profession, valuing them, making sure they feel valued is key. The minute that I feel like my boss and my team can't live without me, the minute that I go home feeling like I've done a good job and that I've saved animals lives, I want to stay in this profession. It's that simple. It's not rocket science, but yet we take it for granted all the time. We don't praise people. We don't tell them that they are valued in this hospital. And then they feel undervalued. They feel overwhelmed because the work demand increases. We become short-staffed. People start saying snarky comments. We don't address it. And the next thing you know, they're asking for more money. When the reality is, is yes, we probably do need to think about paying them more money, but we need to address the other concerns. And so that goes in and filters into the very last thing. And the very last thing is culture. People want to feel like they're in a good culture. And I don't want to use the term family because the reality is, is the culture in most families is not great. So we don't want to use the term family because in any given day, you might not want to be near your family. And you certainly probably don't want to work with your mom and dad. Instead, we want a professional medical office. 
We want a professional environment where we can share our thoughts and share our values and feel cared about by our employer. And that's weird because again, for older generations, why should my employer care about me, right? It's just a job. I'm, they're my boss and I do what they say. Nope, we now want our employers to care about us. And in fact, younger generations actually tie their mental health to how much their employer cares about them. So there's a big correlation there. And employers, you have to get on board with the fact that when the minute you care empathetically, deeply caring about somebody for your employees, they're more likely to stay at your hospitals. This is again, not rocket science. Though arguably rocket science could benefit from some empathy. Maybe they're very empathetic individuals. They have a lot of empathy towards rocket. Anyway, I, I digress. So how do we get great culture? right? Okay. We've paid people really well. We've given them amazing benefits. We have career paths. We have education. Our employees know that they are an equal part of this team and we can't function without them. Okay. We also utilize them fully. Awesome. Probably you're already on a path to having better culture than other places that don't do those things. But the reality is, is that there is a lot more to culture. One is DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know this is a term that particularly in the last five years has really kind of taken off. And uh, some people say, you know, oh, it's that younger generation who wants DEI. If you're the person saying that, then you're probably not in the minority. But for minority individuals who people who feel like they're not included in the majority of things, DEI is really important. And DEI is part of psychological safety. Psychological safety is what every human being on the planet wants. There's actually four quadrants of psychological safety, and we're not gonna do that much of a deep dive, but I wanted you to go ahead, start typing these terms into whatever search engine you use and start learning about them. Psychological safety means that I have the ability to go up to my veterinarian and say, hi, I'm pretty sure you meant to write 1.0 milliliters of diazepam, but it's missing the decimal. So I'm reading it as 10 milliliters and I'm pretty sure that that's not correct, right? So psychological safety has the ability for me to do that. And I feel comfortable doing that instead of, oh, I'm not sure, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to upset my veterinarian. They're having a really busy day. Oh my goodness, right? Psychological safety is huge. I get to be who I am. And again, still professional, still working in that professional medical space, being respectful of other people, but being able to share ideas, being able to challenge my boss, having my boss challenge me. And when my boss comes up to me and says, hey, Amy, can we have a conversation about X, Y, and Z? And I say, yeah, what's going on? They say, well, you know, I have some concerns about X, Y, and Z of what you're doing. I don't jump down to their throat and start screaming at them. Instead, I say, ooh, well, let me think about that. Let me let me just process what you've said. Part of that comes with emotional intelligence. Again, go ahead, do a little search engine search on emotional intelligence. We all need more emotional intelligence. You know, I have to say in the last decade, I've really taken an emotional intelligence journey, taken a bunch of classes, would recommend it to anybody. And again, for older generations, it's not just because it's something younger, younger generations want. It's okay to get in touch with your emotions, but on an intelligent level. It's not about being emotional, so be very clear on that. So anyway, it's very important for me to take a inner reflection when my boss, when my manager is coming to me with a concern, instead of me going behind their back, gossiping about it, making them feel like garbage, and basically throwing them under the bus. 
Good psychological safety says we get to challenge each other. But part of that is DEI. When people don't feel included because they are a minority or they're feeling excluded, that's not part of psychological safety. And as such, our culture suffers in our hospitals. So there's a lot that goes into culture. It, one could argue that it's largely actually driven by, by leadership, but I certainly know teams where they live in a little bubble and they're super happy and dumpster fires are happening around them. And there's literally like, you know, people screaming outside of the bubble, but inside the bubble, they're like, this place is great. I wouldn't want to work anywhere else, but outside the bubble, it's an absolute train wreck. You know, trains have derailed, fire is happening, you know, explosions are going off. People are screaming at each other, but inside that bubble, they're really happy. So largely, yeah, if you are in a leadership role, you probably are the driver of the culture. Is that always the case? No, but it's 90, 95% of the time leadership is driving the culture. So I, I know that this was a lot and I'm sure I've missed some things that really keep people in veterinary medicine. But I wanted to do this podcast because when we think about it, it can be so overwhelming or we can just go ahead and tackle one little thing. Let's tackle our salary. Let's challenge that profit and loss statement, that P&L, right? Can we buck the norm of it? Can we change our pricing just a little bit? Can we go ahead and make sure that we help support the salaries of our employees better so that they don't struggle as much? Maybe we're not as competitive as we thought and we really need to do a deep dive. When's the last time we actually looked to see if we are even competitive in our salaries? So many hospitals, yearly, you should be looking and analyzing your salaries. You, when's the last time you did that? That's probably number one. Number two, what different benefits can we offer? Can we do something different? Is there something we can do? And then certainly educational tracks. Okay, so we used to only give out $200 for veterinary technicians annually for continuing education. That buys them absolutely nothing. So how can we get education? Can we purchase online CE platforms? Can we, you know, give somebody maybe a scholarship? What does that look like so that it's affordable to this hospital? But again, don't give it all to the veterinarians. Don't give it all to just the owner of the hospital. We have to remember that every single team member on this field is equal. I mean, if you want to go without, you know, the quarterback, go ahead. But the quarterback is an equal opponent on that team, along with defense and offense. If you don't want a kicker, that's fine, but now you're down a kicker. So unfortunately, when that position comes up, you're gonna struggle. So we have to figure out, like again, don't just put emphasis on one position in your hospital. Everybody is on that field is equal. That's really key, and people need to feel that. They need to feel valued. And then we certainly also need to make sure that we do right by the new hires. And that's part of the education process, making sure we have great career paths. And then the very last thing we need to do, culture. What does our culture even feel like? When I say the words Apple, you know, and I'm not thinking about the fruit, I'm thinking about the technological company, right? All right, so Apple or Subaru, or if I say Coca-Cola, what does that feel like? You immediately probably had a visual stimulation in your brain when I said those things, okay? Um, right now, when I say things like Stanley Cup, some of you went hockey and some of you went with that, you know, fad cup that's really big because um, it's cost a lot of money. Actually, veterinary professionals aren't buying Stanley Cups. You can't afford to do so. But you know what I'm talking about. So what does that feel like? What is your brand of your hospital? And if your hospital doesn't feel like anything, how do we get that culturally to make it feel like something? And a lot of that, again, driven by leadership and going back to making sure that we care about each employee. Side note, 
If you are in a leadership role, I want you to have more meetings. And I know people are going to go, Amy, I have no time for meetings. I'm here to tell you, here's a hack for you. It's not even a hack. This is just a fact. More meetings equal less problems to solve. When you have less meetings, all you're doing is running around with your head cut off, going ahead and putting out fires. When you get to know your team members, when you get to understand issues before they become issues, you're going to have less fires to put out. It's that simple. Trust me on this. I have so many conversations with leaders that fight me all the time. And then when they finally cave and they say, fine, we're going to have more meetings, they go, you know what? I feel like the team's actually better. No, you mean like, yeah, that's that's going to really be a thing for you. So don't fight me on this, people. Don't. I'm going to probably do a whole podcast on this. So anyway, I hope that this helps you in just kind of digesting the things that you can start tackling. Don't try to do everything at once. Bring in someone to talk about DEI. Start educating yourself on psychological safety. Start creating values and mission statements if your hospital doesn't have them. Again, evaluate your salaries. Think about career paths. Do all of those things and you're going to retain the employees in your hospital. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for everything that you do. And as I always like to say, keep on being a unicorn. And check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vettteamtraining.com. 